to all of us. Thankful to the Lord uh, for the opportunity uh, to stand uh, before you uh, this morning and uh, to open the scriptures that we may read of it and seek to make a comment on it and uh, prayer. My prayer is that uh, each one of us will go with uh, a portion for ourselves at the end of our time together. <clears throat> May I just invite us again to pray uh, before we begin. Uh, Lord, we pray as we echo the words of uh, hymn writer that we have sung, that Lord, you will prepare our minds, not only prepare our minds, but speak to our minds and our hearts speak, O oh Lord, that we may hear you speak, praying for myself as I stand before your people, that Lord, you give me clarity of thought and speech, that Lord, you will minister to your people through my utterances this morning. Grant, our Father, that um, the sins of the preacher and the sins of the hearer will not be a hindrance to you speaking to us as individuals and severally as a people of God. And so forgive us of our sins and be gracious and be pleased to dwell in our midst as we continue in your presence. Lead us, look upon us with favor as we continue and pray and ask for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn with me to Joshua, Joshua and chapter 1, Joshua and chapter 1, we read a couple of scriptures because of the nature of the topic that we have before us. I need uh, to read or refer to a couple of passages. So we'll read uh, a few scriptures from the book of Joshua and then as we proceed we will also refer to a few other texts. Joshua and chapter 1 verse 1 to 6. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all these people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will trade upon, I have given you, 
And as I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the greater river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Verse number five. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, set out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rehab and lodged there. And it was told that, or rather it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rehab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they, have, they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut, when it was dark, that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the fords. And as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now, before they lay down, she came, out, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea uh, for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the, king, to the two kings of, of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven, above and on earth beneath. Now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father 
my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives uh, from death. And so the man answered her, Our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land, that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Let me just so uh, quickly read chapter 21 and uh, two verses from there. Uh, Joshua 21 and verses 43 uh, to 45, or rather three verses. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around, according to all that he had sworn to their, fa- to their fathers. And not a man of all uh, their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel or came to pass. Now, a great accounts about Joshua have been recorded in this book of the Bible, the book we refer to as Joshua. The book where we find a classic account of the conquest of Canaan by the people of Israel. And subsequently, as we have read from chapter 21 and verse 43 and 44, the possession of the promised land, the possession of Canaan. As Joshua leads the children of Israel into Canaan, we we notice what one may call larger-than-life miracles that make the account of this particular book quite captivating and, in a sense, quite memorable. And among these, we can read about the miracle of crossing the Jordan River in a same style or similar style to crossing the Red Sea as Moses was leading the children of Israel from Egypt as they were freed from their slavery in Egypt. So we see a similar miracle taking place this time under the leadership of Joshua as the people cross the Jordan River. But also we read in chapter number 6 a famous story of the fall of the walls of Jericho. And uh, another larger-than-life miracle that we come across is the stopping or the halting of the sun and the moon on the request of Joshua, which is recorded for us in Joshua and chapter 10. But one great theme of this book, which book obviously Uh, talks a great deal about this man called Joshua 
uh, the successor to Moses, as we have read in, in chapter 1. A great theme is God's fulfillment of giving the promised land to the people of Israel. And in a sense, that is sort of the, the bedrock, the bedrock of our topic today, which topic is simply Joshua, a shadow of Christ Jesus, or uh, to put it differently, a type of Christ. A great theme of the fulfillment of giving the promised land to the children of Israel. Just to just mention, uh, to just uh, give us uh, a good picture about this particular promise, it's a promise that was given to Abraham, and we can read about that in Genesis chapter 13, Genesis chapter 15, Genesis chapter 17. And uh, uh, after Abraham, there was Isaac, and uh, the promise was, as it were, resounded to him, later resounded to Jacob, and uh, then to Moses, as we read about these accounts again of God resounding this particular promise to his people through these generations, if I can call it that way. And uh, when we come to Joshua, we actually see the actualization of this particular promise. Actualization of the promise under Joshua's leadership. And there are a lot of uh, uh, aspects in this particular book, and indeed um, many, a few other books, particularly as we look at Exodus. Um, many, uh, many points, many points that speak to Joshua being a foreshadow or a type of Christ. And by the way, the name Joshua is a Hebrew name. Uh, uh, the, the Hebrew pronunciation or spelling is Yehoshua or Yeshua. And um, um, the same name uh, is basically the one translated in, in English as Jesus. So Yeshua or Yoshua or Joshua is actually Jesus, uh, in terms of uh, the name itself, uh, obviously that really doesn't, although, although some scholars would tend to, uh, to bring out a point that uh, that also speaks to the type, to his type or the shadow of the Christ, but it's just, in my view, it's just a name. But the, the question is, what is the evidence what is the evidence that we have in the scriptures that this Joshua should be viewed as a shadow or should be viewed as a type of Christ? Just to mention again that uh, many so-called evidences 
have been advanced and propounded by many, many Bible scholars. But I want to just focus on three of them this morning, which, which I believe are, are very, very important and uh, very importantly speak to this aspect of Joshua being a type of Christ. And what, we ha- what I have for us this morning is simply that in Joshua, we have a rescuer and deliverer in the first place. And secondly, in Joshua, we have a warrior and conqueror of God's enemies. And in Joshua, we have a victor who apportions appropriate inheritance to God's people. And firstly then, Joshua, or in Joshua, we have a rescuer and deliverer. Uh, Earlier, we read uh, Joshua chapter 2, verse 1 to 4, the story of Rahab and the two spies that were sent to go and spy the land of Jericho, as it were, as uh, the people of uh, Israel were marching on to the promised land. And when we look at what happened after Jericho was destroyed from Joshua and chapter 6, we notice a fulfillment of what I can call a promise made by the two spies to Rahab. Chapter 6 and verse 22 reads as follows. But Joshua said to men, to the men, or the two men, that is the two men that had been hid in the roof by Rahab, and uh, this was uh, after the destruction of Jericho. Uh, Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the country, go into the Harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman and all that she has, as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. And so they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. But they burned the city, that's the city of Jericho, and all that was in it with fire. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab, the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had, so she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy. Now, a promise was made to this woman, only, or rather, uh, give, the name obviously given as Rahab and described as, as a harlot, in other words, a promiscuous woman. Want to say that it was possible for Joshua and the two men that had gone to her and had been hidden by her to forget about 
or overlook this particular uh, promise of protection that was made to her during the battle for Jericho. But we see Joshua keeping this promise and he instructs the two young men, as they are referred to, who Rahab had hid, or, or rather whom Rahab hid, the two men who Rahab hid or saved, to ensure that she in turn is saved from the calamity that befell Jericho. Her promiscuous life did not prevent Joshua from saving her, from saving her family and all that belonged to her. But we also have another interesting account about a rescue mission, if I can put it that way. After the destruction of Jericho, a town called Ai, or Ai, or I. <clears throat> so after the destruction of two cities, Jericho and Ai, they, there comes a people, a crafty people from Gibeon. And these Gibeonites were very scared of the children of Israel because they had heard how they had conquered these two particular cities but also have had heard about other conquests that the children of Israel had done along their path or along their route to the promised land. And so because of this fear, they, they came up with, with, with a strategy a plan of deception. An account of that particular deception is given to us in Joshua chapter 9. We really won't uh, take time to read that. But the point is they came to the Israelites pretending to, to be some kind of goodwill ambassadors and, and, and further lied that they came from a faraway country and what they were seeking was a treaty or uh, uh, an agreement with the children of Israel that uh, they should be with them, they should be their allies, so to speak, and uh, they should not wage, the children of Israel should not wage war against them. And ultimately, they succeeded in fraudulently making a treaty or a covenant with the children of Israel. It didn't take long and the children of Israel discovered that the Gibeonites were, were actually from, from the neighborhood. They, are, they, they were lying that they had come from a very far away place, but they were actually from the neighborhood. And the scriptures talk about the, the fact that they, they came from a distance of three days' walk. Okay? Uh, it was in the neighborhood, so to speak. So 
When the people of Israel realized that they had been bamboozled, as it were, or they had been deceived by these people, they were furious. They, in a sense, wanted to execute these people for their duplicity. However, Joshua and the other leaders, referred to as rulers in chapter 9, got to the people and told them that they had signed a treaty with them and there was no way on account of that treaty that they would execute this group of people called the Gideonites. And they let them live as their slaves. Okay, and we read in um, chapter 9, if I can just read three verses from there, chapter 9 and verse 18, um, the, uh, the Bible reads as follows, but the children of Israel did not attack them because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord of Israel, and all the congregation complained against the rulers. Then all the rulers said to all the congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, we may not touch them. And later on, we read about five kings, five kings in the neighborhood of Gibeon that heard about the Gibeonites and the fact that uh, these people had acted in a sellout fashion, as it were. They had betrayed the other groups that were at war with Israel. And they decided, five kings decided to come together and wage war against the Gibeonites. And on hearing that, the Gibeonites called upon Joshua and Joshua obliged to help them in shielding them against the attack of the five kings that had, as it were, come together to attack the Gibeonites. And we read about Joshua successfully delivering this deceitful people of Gibeon from the imminent attack of the collision of the five kings, the so-called five kings of southern Canaan. Now the point really is in talking about these two peoples, Rahab and the Gibeonites, the point is that Rahab's and the Gibeonites' lives and their actions were, in a sense, undeserving. Rahab, the prostitute, her life was undeserving. Gibeonites' deception, their life was undeserving of God's mercy. And yet, both were delivered by Joshua. Like Joshua, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, offers salvation to the undeserving. We have 
a scripture from Romans chapter 5, verse 6 to 8, talking about Christ's mercy toward us. Romans 5, 6 to 8, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For no one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still undeserving, Christ died for us. But apart from the fact that we see a rescuer in Joshua, we also see in him a giver of rest. Now, this is connected to what we read about in, in Hebrews and chapter, uh, chapter 3 and 4 concerning the rest of the saints and also related to what we see in Psalm 95 concerning the rebellion or the rebellious nature of the children of Israel and how that many of them were unable to, as it were, enter the rest that we see and we read about in Joshua and chapter 21, a verse that we read at the very beginning of our time. Many children of Israel died in the wilderness because their hearts were hardened against God. And though they saw God's works, they did not put their trust in him, neither did they follow his commandments. And through unbelief, they failed to enter the promised land and gain rest from all their wanderings. Through unbelief and rebellion, they were unable to enter the promised land. And the, the, the writer to, to, to the Hebrews likens their case to the case of those today who through unbelief reject the gospel and fail to gain rest. They fail to gain rest that is offered in the salvation that is found in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Joshua, the man who led Israel into some measure of rest, and again, if I can uh, read chapter 21 of Joshua and verse 43, no, verse 44, yeah, okay, 43 and 44, the Lord gave to Israel all the land which he had sworn to give their forefathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it, and the Lord, obviously through the works of Joshua, gave them rest all around. The work of Joshua can be paralleled to that accomplished by the man who provides us rest in salvation. And the man who provides us rest in salvation is none other our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Joshua, therefore, is viewed as, as a picture and forerunner of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in this particular sense. And put in a different way, we, we might say that just as Joshua gave Israel a rest, okay, God, let, let me put it this way, just as God through Joshua gave Israel, Israel rest from their wanderings by guiding them into the promised land and blessing them as they remained in that part of Israel, so to speak, if I can put it broadly. So Christ, our Savior, gives us rest from the futility of self-generated righteousness by guiding us into a life of salvation, a blessed life of hope, a blessed life of eternity later on with him. Earlier on, I did allude to the larger-than-life miracle of crossing the Jordan River, a miracle in the same style as the crossing of the Red Sea recorded for us in Exodus chapter 14. There's a sense in which the crossing of the Jordan which is given to us in Joshua and chapter 3, verse 10 to 17, can be compared to the transition from being lost in sin uh, to being saved from sin. In a sense, Israel's crossing the Jordan, entering into the promised land, may be pictured as a spiritual Rebirth. I want to just uh, quickly make one particular application concerning uh, this particular matter, particularly concerning the crossing of the Jordan and getting into the promised land. God had promised the children of Israel, this promised land, the land of Canaan. Yet, the children of Israel had to cross the Jordan River and take possession of this land. In other words, no crossing the Jordan, no possession of the promised land. I want to just apply this to my dear and saved friend. God promises salvation to you. Promises the free gift of salvation to you, my non-believing friend, this morning. A promise that he has made from time past, many, many years ago, many centuries ago. You cannot enjoy the benefits of this promise of the free gift of salvation unless you embrace and accept it. And you do that by crossing, as it were, from your life 
of sinfulness into the life of obedience to God. The life of having the Lord Jesus Christ in your life as your Lord and Savior. You need to repent of your sins. You need to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You need to surrender yourself to his Lordship. And may I implore anyone in here who is not a child of God to reach out and take hold of this gift of salvation, this promise of salvation freely given to you. Let me address my second main point. We see in Joshua a warrior and conqueror of God's enemies. A warrior and conqueror of God's enemies. This man is often remembered as a warrior, a conqueror who destroyed the Canaanite armies. By Canaanite armies, I'm talking about the, the various uh, uh, cities with their kings that were waging war against the children of Israel. In other words, he is remembered as a warrior and conqueror who destroyed the enemies of God who were the enemies of the children of Israel. At the battle of Ai, he is credited with, with burning the city and executing the king. He is further uh, on record of executing the, the, the five kings that I referred to earlier that had waged war against the Gibeonites. He is on record that he executed these five kings, the five kings of the southern Canaanite collision. And we read that in Joshua and chapter 10 and verse 26. And when we read some of these some of these uh, 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 conquering, uh, conquering events, we notice that they paint graphically brutal scenes. And I must confess, they are really, really disturbing. <laughs> they are really disturbing. But that's, that's how God uh, had planned it in his own wisdom and sovereign way. And in a sense, we, we have God's promise to Joshua, the promise given to him in chapter 1, being fulfilled in his warring, uh, how do I put it, in his warrior attitude and his conquest, in his conquering of the enemies of God. And the promise that was given to him in chapter 1 and verse 5 is this, that no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your lives. 
a fulfillment of that particular promise as we see Joshua routing, as it were, the enemies of God and indeed the enemies of the children of Israel. In comparison, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is sometimes presented as, as a conquering warrior in the New Testament. And even more so as this relates to the spiritual realm. And we read, for example, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And we know that in his going to the cross, he indeed destroyed the works of the devil. And at the cross, as we read from Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, at the cross disarmed the rulers and authorities of the angelic world and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The Lord Jesus Christ, as I have alluded to, defeated death on the cross through his death and resurrection. And so we can say with the Apostle Paul, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? One of the accounts that we read about during Joshua's time of routing his enemies is bringing these five kings of the collision and he instructs his men to put their feet on their necks before he executes them. Like I said, they are gruesome. They are, they are brutally gruesome scenes recorded for us in this particular book. <clears throat> but we see there a picture of how Christ in the future will put all rule and authority under his feet. And that's uh, uh, what we read about in 1 Corinthians and chapter 15 and verse 25. A third point before I just uh, put across a few points of application in conclusion is that in Joshua we see a victor who apportions appropriate inheritance unto his people. Joshua's division of the land of Canaan, which we see after conquering the enemy lands, as it were, the enemy cities, was the thing that the people of Israel were looking forward to. It is something that, as it were, goes together or flows with the promise of the Lord for the promised land to the people of Israel. And so with Joshua's leadership and having crossed the Jordan, the people of Israel have, as it were, inside the land that God had promised them. And after Joshua leads them into victory over many enemy armies, even after crossing the Jordan River, he stands alongside Eliezer the priest as the Lord directs these people 
which Canaanite cities, in other words, which lands and regions would be given to the different tribes. And we see, therefore, Israel's promised inheritance is realized. It is actualized. Again, if I can just read again uh, that verse that I have read more than once, Joshua chapter 21. So the Lord, verse 43, so the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around. Okay? And, and it's interesting to, to see that uh, um, uh, the rest was all around because the Lord had given to them all the land. That's my, according to uh, the, my, the vision of my Bible, all the land which he had sworn to give to their fathers. Our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, after conquering death, and indeed, freeing believers from the shackles of certain shackles that, as it were, bind those that are unsaved in their belief. He brings his people into a great inheritance. A great inheritance with great spiritual benefits. If I can just uh, mention a few of these benefits and, in a sense, the inheritance that we have as we have salvation in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the adoption as children of God. We are children of the Most High. We are co-heirs with our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and heirs to the throne of God. What a great inheritance that we have in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only are we in heirs to that lofty, lofty throne, as it were, but when we look at the promise that was made to Abraham, we are heirs to the covenantal promises that were given to Israel. Genesis, uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 29, would put it this way. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. But apart from that, we have the forgiveness of sin. And we know that when we come to Christ, we have our sins that we have committed before, our sins that we are, we are committing now, and our future sins, as it were, forgiven in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. What a great benefit that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. But further to that, we have reconciliation with God. Before that, we were enemies with God, Having, as it were, crossed the Jordan, we have reconciliation with our God. We are friends, as it were. Not only are we children, but we are friends with God. 
Further, we have the imputation of the righteousness of Christ upon us. And with the righteousness of Christ imputed upon us, we have the courage and the boldness to enter the throne of grace, the holy of holies as it were. And we have that privilege 24 hours, 7 days in a week. We also have the privilege of the indwelling Holy Spirit in us. But we also have an inheritance that we can look forward to after this life, as it were. Eschatologically. An inheritance that will be fully revealed, as it were, when Christ returns and the dead are raised. And so, as, as, as God, through Joshua, gave his people rest in the land of promise, rest, as it were, from wandering about. So Christ promises us rest and an eternal home with him in glory. What a great privilege that is ours, those of us that are children of God. And what a great miss that those that are outside the kingdom of God have. You're missing these great inheritance and these great privileges that we have in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me come to my conclusion and simply bring out two points. And these two points, one addressing us as children of God and another one addressing those of us that are outside the kingdom of God, those that have not come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as it were. And to my Christian friends, just a reminder that the path beyond Jordan as it were is, is not an easy life. Yes, the children of Israel had rest from a life of wandering after they crossed the Jordan River. But we read that, in fact, the, the crossing of the Jordan River is in, is in chapter, chapter number three. And what we see thereafter are, are these battles, battles with enemy kings. For yes, they were at war with enemy kings, stubborn enemy kings. The life of a Christian is a battle, a battle against the world, a battle against the flesh, a battle against the devil. And sometimes our enemies inflict very, very painful blows on us.
the sweet thing, or the encouraging thing, is that in Christ, victory over our enemies is guaranteed. Victory over our enemies is guaranteed. But I like what 1 John tells us concerning this particular victory. He says that this victory is linked to our faith. Let me just read that. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. I think it's important that I read this particular scripture. 1 John 5 and verse number 4 reads as follows. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this victory that has overcome the world, and this is victory that has overcome the world, our faith. What is the state of your faith? And that's the question that each one of us must request or ask ourselves. What is the state of my faith now? What is the state of my faith today? How am I able to stand against the world, the flesh, and the devil? Is your faith wavering? You will lead a life of discouragement. Is your life, Christian life, dependent on your capability, your wisdom, your intellectual capability? How does that help you to stand against the world? the flesh, and the devil. Oh, friends, the shield of faith is always available to us to quench the fiery darts of the evil one. The encouragement from Ephesians chapter 6 is to put on the shield of faith. What's the state of this shield? in our lives as children of God. May we all be strengthened in our faith as we face daily the challenges of life. As we battle against the world, as we battle against the flesh, as we battle against the devil. And obviously, the offshoots of these enemies of our source. May we be strengthened in our faith. May we put on that shield. Shield that perhaps is uh, made of iron, able to quench the fiery darts of the evil one. But let me hurry on and address my non-Christian friend and simply say that, non-Christian friend, God fulfills his promises. It may take long, and we are looking at a promise that took ages 
And we know that the children of Israel were in the wilderness for 40 years. But the promise was made before that. The promise of Canaan. The promise of the promised land, if I can put it that way, was made many years ago. Some estimate to be about 400 years before this time that we are reading in Joshua that these people were finally given the land they were promised. Now, my point simply is this, that it may take long. The promises of God may take long. And I want to, 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 to just underline the word may. May take long, but they will come to pass. There is an outstanding promise that the day is coming. A day is coming when each one of us will stand before God to give an account of our lives. And the question is, what will be your story? What will be your story as you stand before your maker? Before the one who should have been your savior? Would you say that you were generally a good and upright person? A person who lived a quiet and peaceful life? You're not involved in stealing, you're not involved in fornication, you're not involved in adultery. You didn't do all these vices, would that be your story? Those reasons will not stand before the maker, before the judge of the world. Only genuine repentance from sin and faith in this Joshua of the New Testament, as it were, the Lord Jesus Christ will guarantee an entrance in the eternal rest after this life. Oh dear friends, may you not continue to harden your heart like the children of Israel in the wilderness. May you not miss the eternal rest that is available to you or that you may call upon the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Shall we pray together? Dear Lord, we are thankful and we bless your name that we have had the opportunity, the privilege that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ to be able to turn the pages of Scripture that we may learn of you, that we may be reminded of you, particularly as we are focused on Joshua, the shadow of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that in Joshua we see a rescuer and a deliverer. In him we see a warrior that conquers God's enemies. In, in him we see uh, uh, this man that stands to 
appropriately apportion the inheritance that was promised to your people. Thank you that we look at this passage and, 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 and say that indeed the promises of God 